as we continue to talk about how Jesus did ministry and to learn from his example uh, and from the model of, that Jesus left uh, behind us, we've already talked about the art of asking questions and about genuine listening so that we can find out what makes a Muslim tick, what are the issues he's struggling or she's struggling with, so that we can uh, answer and respond, reply with an appropriate message of the Gospel. We have explained already that the Gospel is salvation through Jesus Christ alone, and the message of the Gospel has to include the cross, because without the cross there is no salvation. And now we want to get a little bit deeper in, in our relationship uh, with a personal relationship with a Muslim. Brothers and sisters, witnessing is not just dumping certain ideas, reading the four spiritual laws or the six spiritual laws, whatever they are. You may have the wonderful approach, you may have a good technique and strategy, but without the Spirit of God working with you, there's no effect. And also, without a personal re love relationship with this person, it's not effective. Um, I have had many people ask me, why is it that you spend so much time with us? Some people say, are you being paid for this? In a, in a sense, yes, I am. This is my job. But un unless they know it's genuine and real, it's not effective because you become, they become like a project to you. Jesus loved people genuinely. And one reason the Pharisees were angry with him is that they were jealous of his love and uh, of the love of the people toward him. They were following him wherever he went, in the tens and the hundreds and even the thousands. I pray that God will give you a, a heart of love and compassion towards people, that you may develop a personal witness with them. It is the personal relationship that's most effective. I remember a story from Kosovo, Albanian, a believer named Bekim. He was in the university, and there, on the first day of class, the teacher asked each student to stand up and tell their name. And so everybody stood up, my name is so-and-so, and sat down. My name is so-and-so, and sat down. When Bekim stood up, he said, my name is Bekim Beka, and I love Jesus. And he sat down. There was a young woman there named Hannah. Hannah came to Bekim at the end and said, Who is this you said you love? Tell me more about this. And he began to tell her about Jesus. And they developed a friendship and began to take interest in her. And when he invited her to church, she came to church. And she said, she was 18 years at the time, and about two months after she accepted Christ, I met her. And, um, and she told me that story of how she met Bekim. And it is his genuine love and friendship, first to Jesus Christ and then to her, that really touched her heart. And she and a number of her family are now walking with the Lord. And she's married with uh, two beautiful uh, children. It is the personal witness that is most effective. One could hear TV and watch uh, YouTube and 
and read uh, on the internet, even read the Bible on its own. But unless you become Jesus to them, your, your words will be the words of Jesus. Your hands will be the hands of Jesus. Uh, you're not effective. So this brings us to the point, do not hit and run. You're not here on a project. You dump a few words, no matter how wonderful they are, and you run away. You need to linger and spend time with people. Sometimes you need to spend days and weeks and months before you see your friend really turn around and show interest. Um, after, uh, after a few months, my relationship with people often gets tested. They, uh, they try to uh, say, I'm not interested anymore, or I don't want to see you anymore, or uh, I'm done, I don't believe in this, you're trying to convert me, and so on. Even This is a test. Even at that time, you need to persevere and continue to love them unconditionally, and then you will see some changes. Remember that you're not just witnessing with your words. Of course, that's important. But you're also witnessing in your relationship, in your lifestyle. Let people in onto your life. Uh, many times I, I have... Uh, a lot of uh, Muslim converts who text me and they ask me to pray for them. You know what? I do pray for them. But I also text them. Yesterday, as I was uh, recording these programs, I texted several of the Muslim converts that have come to Christ in the last few months and I said, pray for me because I'm struggling with my voice. And they write me back, we're praying for you. There's a relationship, a mutual relationship developing and that's part of the discipleship, which we will talk about a little bit later. In your ministry or witnessing to Muslims, you're going to be derailed sometimes by difficult questions. They will ask you questions that are not of this topic. Do not be sidetracked. Don't go on rabbit trails. You need to take charge of the conversation without dominating it, if you could figure that out. If you have just started witnessing to somebody, you need to offer them to meet again. Uh, one thing I warn, one of my interns recently said, shall I have a Bible study with my roommate? I said, no, don't have a Bible study. Because the word Bible study is a Christian term, and they don't understand it. They think you're going to go like a course in the university and do a lot of studying. Offer to read the Bible with them. Or you can say a discussion on the Bible. So offer to meet with them and discuss. Uh, take them out to coffee. Bring them over to your home. Or you go to their house. Or uh, sit somewhere in a park. Wherever you may be able to meet with them. And offer to discuss with them topics. Allow them to speak. And don't jump on them every time they say something wrong. It's okay. Tolerate five, six, ten things that they're saying wrong. But listen until you find a solution, something that you can say that's be more effective so that you will um, not be always, you know, uh, correcting them at every mistake. Like a child, you cannot correct them all the time. Somebody learning English, you can't correct them every word. Let them speak a little bit. Maybe one word of two or three sentences you might comment on, but not on every word. So these are some techniques that God has taught me 
uh, through my experience with people. Do not hit and run. Linger in a relationship and get to know people. Let them get to know you. Spend time with them. And uh, the Lord will use that relationship to bring them to know Him. Do not argue. <clears throat> There's a difference between discussion and argument. Many times I hear some people witnessing to Muslims, and they're always saying, no, no, that's not true, that's not right. The, Jesus doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say that. The Quran, doesn't, the Quran says this and so on. So there's this spirit of argumentation. The very same things you can say in an argument, you can say it kindly, with respect, and just as a sharing of your position. When people hear, and they know that you are not just fighting with them, it's more effective. Relax. Uh, get, uh, stay focused. And be in a spirit of prayer as you're speaking, especially when there's arguments. I have fallen in arguments sometimes. Uh, when you are arguing, people close up. They do not really listen to you. They're only less like a ping pong, just pushing back, throwing back the ball at you. <clears throat> Let them say whatever they want. I have learned that everybody likes to speak, including me, including you. So let the other person speak. Let them air it all out. Let them, the more you allow them to speak, the more you have the possibility that they will allow you to speak as well. But if you're always interrupting them and arguing with them, you're not going to earn their trust and they will not listen to you anymore. After the person dumps on you, after they, they have had the opportunity to tell you what's wrong with the Bible, what's wrong with uh, the Christianity, uh, you can ask for permission to speak. Uh, I want to tell you one time I had, um, that's more than one time, but I'll tell you one of them. I, I was asked to debate an imam in Denver, Colorado. And uh, I've done a debate uh, many times since then, but that particularly story came to mind now. And the Imam had notes, stacks of pages, and he was going over them in a notebook, and he was uh, flipping pages and saying uh, what's wrong with the Bible, all the contradictions, all the mistakes, and how we cannot trust the Bible. He spent 45 minutes doing that. When my turn came, I did not respond to any of his attacks on me, or on the Bible, or on Christianity. In fact, I looked at the people, and I began to tell them my testimony. I began with this. I said, long time ago, when I was a young man, I hated Muslims with a passion. And if I still hated you, if I hated you today like I hated you long time ago, I would wish each one of you dead. But Jesus came into my life and gave me love for Muslims. And I've dedicated decades of my life to tell them about the most wonderful news of the gospel. I told them that when I was a young man, there was a war in Lebanon and Christians and Muslims were fighting each other. And I chose not to bear arms because the, uh, Jesus gave me love for Muslims. And I even sheltered some Muslims sometimes. When you, when you have a story like that, do you think those people are remembering all the mistakes that this imam found in the Bible? 
I've completely distracted them from the arguments and got them to what I believe God wants me to share with them, which is my testimony and the best news of Jesus Christ. So I opened the Bible, began to read about God's love and about His forgiveness, that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. Guess what? At the end of my 45 minutes, I had an entire hour to answer questions. And they were somewhat apologetic and polemic questions. Some of them were mad and angry and so on. You have to be uh, in charge of your emotions, not just in charge of a conversation, and control yourself and not fight with them. After the debate, which lasted almost uh, three hours, the Imam shook hands with me and he left. He got in his car and went away. But I and my team remained at the University of Denver for several hours answering people's questions. Why did the Imam leave? Because he only had nasty things to say. He just had arguments. But they saw something. They heard something from me that they wanted to know more. They wanted to know about this amazing news that God transforms lives. He gives you forgiveness, gives you eternal life, the promises, the blessings. Who does not want to know these things? So you need to be aware of what their real needs are. And the needs are in the heart. They're not in the intellect. Learn how to move it from here down. Not through arguments, but through presentation of the truth and the good news of the gospel. Your testimony is the most powerful thing you have. Many people don't recognize how important the testimony is. Because you've lived with your testimony, you probably don't think much of it. The way I know this is that I have uh, discipled a number of Americans who have come to our training school. And one of the things that we teach is how to write your testimony and be able to say it in three minutes and in 10 minutes and in 20 minutes. And several of the Americans say, I don't have a testimony. So I said, really? Let me ask you some questions. And I began to ask them chronologically. How did they grow up? Where did they go to church? What did they learn? What are the points in their lives, the, the landmarks in their lives spiritually? And I found that there is a testimony hidden. But what they thought, they don't have a testimony, is that they did not commit murder and crime and were big liars and deceivers and so on. And, and then God changed them completely. Because people coming from Islam or from some non-Christian background have an amazing, dramatic testimony. I, for one, had such a testimony. And, uh, and I, I was a big liar and deceiver and, and uh, had foul mouth. And, and God transformed me very dramatically. But uh, still, your testimony, whatever it is, if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you have a testimony. If you have assurance of your salvation, you have a testimony. You can share that. Testimony can be also an experience of answered prayer. When God helped you, guided you in your work, in your relationship, your testimony can be, how do you treat your children? How do you treat your wife? So uh, your testimony is a powerful way to share the gospel. It makes Christianity not just a religion of ideas, truths, but also that these ideas and truths have an impact in your own life. 
Because what we're calling Muslims to is not a better religion than Islam. We're calling to a relationship with the God, the Creator through Jesus Christ, who said, I am the only way to God. I am the way, the truth. There's no, no name under heaven by whom we must be saved except through Jesus. There's only one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. This is what we're inviting them to. So if that's what it is, why don't you just share it? Let me share with you um, a statistic. In a survey that I um, surveyed among 100 Muslim converts, I asked them questions of what was the major factor that led them to Christ. I said earlier that 60% of them had seen dreams or seen vision of Jesus or some kind of religious uh, experience through dreams and visions. 85% answered that it was the love of some Christian. The love and kindness, hospitality, different terminology that lead to this. That someone cared enough for them to share the gospel with them and that triggered interest in the Bible. If you want to start a business and somebody says 85% of successful businesses follow these five steps, don't you want to know what these steps are? And I'm assuring you today that 85% of a hundred people that I have surveyed have come to Christ and are now following Jesus because someone took interest in them and showed them the love of Jesus Christ in a practical way. Therefore, this is one of the most successful uh, strategies of reaching Muslims. And this is to love them, to befriend them. You can give them literature, you can give them a Bible, go away. And God has done that, where He touched the hearts of people through reading the Bible alone. But uh, that's not enough. Um, TV, uh, internet, all the other strategies do not compare with your personal connection with a Muslim who will uh, be drawn to you. And I often say to my students, you cannot express the love of Christ without you expressing your love to them. You cannot explain the love of Christ unless people are convinced of your love for them. You cannot attract people to Jesus if they're not attracted to you. When they are attracted to you as a person and you represent Jesus Christ, then you are drawing them closer to Him. <clears throat> Next point. Find out what is good news for the person that you are dealing with or you're working with. People struggle with different things. Uh, one of my uh, converts, Ali, that I led to Christ, was struggling with God's judgment. Another one was struggling with fear of Satan. I uh, remember uh, just two years ago, one of my interns uh, came... Uh, to me to my office one day and admitted to me that she has been involved in occultic practices. This woman from Lebanon, a Muslim convert, had given thousands of dollars to fortune tellers to tell her about the future. She had some kind of a uh, infatuation with a man who didn't seem interested in her because he was interested in someone else. And somebody told her, 
that this woman had written a spell uh, against her so that this man will never love her. This kind of silly stuff is taking place, but it's serious. It's more than silly. She's paid one fortune teller $30,000 because he promised her that he will break the spell and have that man start loving her. She spent that money. She had to borrow it, spend all of her salary on this, and borrow some more money, and yet that guy did not love her. In fact, he went and married somebody else. So she comes to me and says, I have actually been struggling with this, and I'm, I'm still influenced by the demonic activity in her spiritual life. Those people, what they need is deliverance. You need to do a ministry of deliverance into their lives. In fact, this particular case, it was very difficult because I began to tell her, I would like to pray for you for deliverance. As soon as I used the word deliverance, she jumped and started screaming and speaking with a voice that wasn't her own. It was like a demon was speaking with her. And she rushed out of the door and slammed the door behind her and ran away so fast that when I collected my thought and I said, oh, I better run after her, I couldn't find her. Two hours later, I gave her a call. I had called her before, but she called me back two hours later. <clears throat> and I said, what happened? She said, I'll tell you tomorrow. But I'm okay, I'm okay. So the next day she came again, and I said, what happened? She said to me, the demons were struggling to get out. When they knew you were going to deliver me, they were torturing me inside, and I just couldn't handle it. So, uh, so I said, are you ready now to be delivered? She said, no. I promised my demons that if they don't bother me, I will not bother them. That was really sad for me. I shared that with our staff. We began to pray for her. She wasn't willing to be delivered at the time. But praise God, the seed of the hope that God will deliver her continued to work in her, germinate in her heart, that it took an entire year. And somebody else in a different state worked with her to deliver her. And just two months ago, after two years of this, uh, of knowing her, she uh, was delivered, was baptized, and she's now preparing for ministry. So different people have different needs. You need to work with them according to their needs. Somebody is having insecurity about, uh, uh, about their relationship with God. I have discovered that many men and women, especially in the Middle East, they don't have good relationships with their parents. There's always some kind of a dysfunction, either over-dependence over the mother, or uh, on the other hand, uh, completely being ignored by their parents. Uh, several of the children are raised by maids, hired uh, hand, not by their own parents. And many of the men in the Middle East do not spend enough time with their children. They don't show them affection unless they are really little. As they grow older, especially girls, men don't relate to their daughters after they are six or seven years. I'm not saying this for everybody, but it is typical. And therefore, for these kind of emotional insecurities and difficulties and hardships, you need to present the image which is a true image of God being the Father who loves them and never forsakes them. 
I have used this scripture very much with Muslims. The Bible says, even if my father and mother desert me, God will take me in. And therefore, God being a father has attracted more Muslim women than anything else because they needed the love of a father. Many of these Muslim converts call me daddy or baba because they needed a father. One of these brothers, one guy said to me, uh, two days after my father left my wife, uh, my mother and me, he left the house and divorced my mother. You came to the scene and you became a father to me. The father image of God is one of the most dramatic truths and facts that we can share with the Muslim. May the Lord bless you and use you to be effective in your witness.